everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers are sitting around drinking tasty beverages and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that do not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your host today is all about me, Jeannie Warner, and this is episode 154, Poetry and Podcasting with Timothy Kim O'Brien. Welcome, Timothy. Hey, thanks so much for having me here today. It's a fantastic day to be talking with you. Oh, I am so glad. I, I first met you out of the blue. You reached out to us and said you were running a podcast yourself about, well, called Find a Podcast About. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say thank you because that was awesome. And it made me go look at what other things are you finding podcasts about? <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I I started that up in uh, December of 2021. Gosh, we're already so far into 2022. Right. But yeah, I, I started that up because there's not a whole lot of podcasts out there that will help you find a new podcast. The whole goal of that podcast is not for you to listen to it. It's to find that next binge-worthy podcast. And um, I, I heard you guys a long time ago, and I thought, you know what? People need to know about this podcast. And so that's why I had you on the show. And I thank you so much for agreeing to appear on the show. That that was awesome having you there. Oh, it was a delight. And you got Deirdre, who is my one of the first people that I ever talked about doing with it. I'm like, you know, we should do this. We'll kick our boys into being creative again. And the importance of creativity is huge because we can all get suspended and caught up in our day-to-day lives and the business grind and the sad, horrible, terrible, wonderful things that happen in life that take all your spoons. And I think creativity is tremendously important. That made it so much fun for me to go out and look at all of your other podcasts because you're like Mr. Podcasting Wizard here and you seem to be from the same, preaching from the same gospel of your Create Art podcast your poetry monk, your po- all of these things are how to do creativity in the different ways. And that is so cool. Well, yeah, I, I uh, when I was a uh, kid uh, growing up, creativity wasn't a big thing in my household. It was pretty much, you know, you get your blue collar job and then you go and work at the same place for 50 years and uh, three marriages later, uh, you go ahead and retire and all that good stuff. And there was, when I first started into the art world, um, my first love was uh, was poetry and then theater. There was so much I didn't understand. I didn't know. And then uh, I, I was like, how do I break through that and explain it to other people, other kids like me? I'm a kid. He had 49 right now, but you know, how do I break through to folks and, um, and, and encourage them to, you know, go after that spark that they have. And it really kicked off for me in 20, oh gosh, 2016, 2017, when uh, I was working for the army and I saw all these uh, soldiers that were getting ready to transfer out of the army. And they would, we did art therapy with them and they would, uh, you know, look at my, you know, they would have me look at their stuff because I'm the arts guy um, and the podcast guy. And they would say, yeah, this stuff's terrible. I'm like, no, honestly, this stuff is fantastic. You need to be, you know, being represented by a gallery or you need to self-publish your work or you need to find an agent and get them to publish your work. Uh, And and so I, I just, that's really what drove Create Art Podcast is just to, you know, break down those barriers and help people create, because I think we all can create something that is of value uh, to the world. 
I wanted to back up and say that the value driver of creativity there, one of our founding fathers said something, and I desperately hope somebody out there is listening and is a John Adams scholar, so you can write and angrily correct me. But he said something like, I study war and politics so that my children can study business and farming and practical things. And they're going to do that so that their children can study painting and poetry and other fine things. Mm-hmm. And that was, that affected me very profoundly, which had led me to think, you know, if people, I mean, it's not just that people don't have the time to do these things. It's, it addresses the most important thing in the world is that somebody can creatively express themselves. Like inner city New York schools that said, right, our kids are falling behind in reading and math. So we're going to cut out all these electives and double down on the reading, writing and arithmetic. Now, the challenge was they did that, and the graduation rate dropped to like 65%. Oh, sure. When they brought back fine arts and music and singing together and finger painting, the graduation rate within two years climbed back up to 85% plus. So it's not just that it's important. I think it's vital to learn other things. You have to have a reason and a reason to want to do things. And I love the way that your podcasts expressed that of saying, yeah, create art, create poetry, just try it. You're clearly obtuse about nonlinear storytelling and commentary. That's, it's neat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just, I, I feel that we have it all uh, within us. And when we unlock that creativity, when we get rid of the, the uh, judgment that we self-impose, and that we see in the outside world. When, when we get rid of that, I think we can uh, create wonderful things, very meaningful things uh, to, that that enhance our life and make us happier people. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not going to you know cure depression tomorrow, but you have a better chance of uh, having a better outcome in your life when you're uh, when you're creating uh, something. It, it gives you a, a sense of uh, a pride. I know for me, I've got four books of poetry sitting on my shelf, and I don't know a whole lot of people in my personal uh, uh, in my personal realm, except for you guys now. Uh, but uh, in my personal realm, there's not a whole lot of people that have self-published books or have a book deal. And I'm just, you know, a little guy from Rockford, Illinois. That, you know, everyone was shocked that not only did I get my bachelor's, but I got my master's degree and I worked for the federal government. And I have a sense of pride because that's one of my greatest accomplishments is, you know, putting out those books of poetry, uh, putting out my art for other people to see. It, it, it gives me a big warm fuzzy. I, and I love that about it because there was, I mean, and I've been a poetry lover since my grandfather who went to West Point was a poetry lover and he could... If you said, you know, oh, there's something, a line, the pirate Don Dirk of Dowdy, I don't know what that's from. My grandfather would stop and say, ah, and he would recite the poem for you just off the top of his head somehow. And I, I fell in love a little bit with words at that time, I think, because they always remind me of him. But there was a famous poem that's, I think, Longfellow that said, you know, sometimes I want to read the great poets. Maybe I want to read Blake. Maybe I want to read Angelou or Morrison. Maybe I want to read Longfellow. But then sometimes I want to read something that I can relate to or that takes me out of my life and puts me into somebody else's. And that's what I really enjoyed about yours. Like you have postcards from someone you don't know and throwing yourself at the ground and missing. Wisdoms from the sack, shaving crop circles in my chest hair. And those are the four books that I think you all might enjoy. If you want to say, I want to see my life 
almost through somebody else's eyes. I'm saying that these are the thoughts that run through your head that clear some rhyme, some don't, some have, you know, different forms. Some of them are non-form, just blank verse. And I loved them for that. I loved them for just taking me into, I feel like we're buddies now. We've practically had a house by the summer together because I've read your poetry. <laughs> well, I, I, I really appreciate it. And, and, you know, I, I'm a super huge fan of writers drinking coffee. I've been listening to it forever in a week and I'm, I'm still waiting for episode 69 to come out. I'm just, I'm still waiting for that one. Uh, that's the one I'm. Uh, I understand. Uh, there's many people that are waiting for that, but it has to be exactly right. You understand, because that is like episode 42. These can be some of the most important pivotal episodes of the world. So it doesn't, <laughs> that is just, true. you don't just rush a 69, if you may pardon the expression. <laughs> you want you you want it to be meaningful you want it to be earth shattering and and exactly i, I think i think the earth should move with a proper episode 69 oh absolutely and the gods should notice you and there you guys go exactly there you guys go exactly. <laughs> but no i was thinking more and more when i was reading through them there are very there are not as many waiting rooms in the past two years because of covid so things have been more rigidly scheduled, but I can think of how much time at different times in my life I've sat in a waiting room and I've waited for somebody else to get better or have an appointment or go for an appointment my own self. And there have been magazines out there and there have been a lot of advertisements out there and I've pulled open pages and I've sniffed at perfume and I've done many things, but none of them really touched me much in any way. And I love the idea of, of it make me want to say people out the world need to write poetry chapbooks and, and publish them, not punish them, sorry, and then take them to doctor's offices and just distribute them. <laughs> Say, these need to be here. Can I, I'm going to buy a few extra things and go, go dump it over in that location. Because when people are sitting there alone, they're sad, they're frustrated, they're waiting, they have, they, they've gotten before of out of their own head. And they're like, I want to be in somebody else's head for a minute, not thinking about everything I need to do. Well, I can pick up Sunset Magazine and see how somebody else with more money has done their backyard. Or I can read something that says, through the path, 1 August, staggering, confusion grows. Is it daylight? Is it midnight? How is it I'm able to see the path so clearly? My eyes have been blinded by not accepting the usual paths and, and so on. And that is like, yes, I can relate to that. Or I can't relate to that at all. I'm going to flip a few pages. What else have you got for me? Exactly. Exactly. And I think people should honestly, you know, like you're saying, do the chat book. Now is the time for this. It, it really is more than any time in our history. Folks can, you know, hop on to whatever service they want to hop on to. Doesn't matter. But you can go ahead and do that and produce that yourself. You have people right here. You have two fantastic people right here talking to you uh, that that know the publishing uh, business. Uh, I, you probably know it way more than I do, but uh, I can pretty much help anybody self-publish. Even yourself. It, I was going, what, what tools do you use? Because Scrivener out there gives the ability to actually render things in Mobi or PDF or many different, the Amazon method. So they have the tools out there that anybody can self-publish and they make it pretty easy. Yeah, they do. If you go into it saying, 
I'm going to become rich writing poetry and self-publishing poetry. I may have a cautionary word. <laughs> I mean, unless you can tell me I, if, if you've become the multimillionaire from this, in which case, cool. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that. And that way I don't have to worry about, you know, my uh, girls is uh, my twin girls is future. Exactly. But no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't made millions yet. I ran into a programmer once who said, oh, I hear porn makes money. And so I've written a porn novel. So I'm going to make $50,000 on it. <laughs> I'm going to give you, you know, 25 bucks to proof it. And oh, dear God in heaven, I'm not mentioning names, but there was not a single well-constructed sentence within the first paragraph. That sounds like my dad wrote a porno uh, podcast. <laughs> Very familiar to that, except for actually I enjoyed Rocky Flintstone's work. <laughs> I thought that it was classic stuff there. That, that was a classic podcast and I would have bought that book. Classic, yes. <laughs> it really, really was. And, and half the time was, I don't know, I... Uh, I got a pimp there podcast for a minute. There's this, the girl's point of view mm. of saying that this man does not understand anatomy. <laughs> no girl has ever been grabbed by the cervix and led anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was driving when I was listening to that particular podcast on 101, and I had to take the next off ramp and pull over to a safe place in the rocks because I was shaking. I was <laughs> laughing so hard. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Love that show. And that's honestly what I think poetry and literature and publishing and podcasting can do to take those moments and those insights of for, for the guys that was kind of throwaway, but for the girl, I'm like, oh my God, you lucky 10,000 guys, I'm going to teach you something you never knew about women right now. <laughs> <laughs> there could be high school boys who have future, future partners that thank them for this nonsense. <laughs> For all the men listening, uh, you know, out there in, the, uh, in podcast land, follow Jeannie. Follow, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> well, I am blessed with a good memory, which I have discovered over the years is not necessarily a universal trait. Mm -hmm. But uh, the advantage of that would be, think how many times you could reread your favorite poetry and rediscover it anew, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I'm a huge fan of going back to uh, stuff that you've read in the past. Uh, my, my, my first poem that really got me into it was uh, T.S. Eliot's uh, The Hollow Men. Mm. And I reread that, gosh, twice a year. Um, I, I go back to that poem twice a year because it had such an effect on me from high, you know, my, from my freshman year in high school to this day. And that's 40 some odd years ago. No, not 40. That's public education math right there. 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, I love rereading that stuff. So that way it can kind of transport me to when I first encountered it. And then I, I can kind of see my progression through life um, and at special points when I read that poem or when I read others. And um, it, it helps me make sure that I'm on the, uh, I'm on a good track that I, I'm practicing what I preach by creating more than I consume. But part of that creativity is we need to go to that well a bunch of times where we get that inspiration from and, and learn from it and grow and make it into your own. And prime it a little now and again. You know, we, we have frequently talked to would-be writers and said, well, I want to write a I want to write a, a urban supernatural. I'm like, okay, have you read any urban supernatural? <laughs> it's like, I want to be a poet. Well, wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. Have you read any? And have you, do you, have you, sooner or later, I think the most important thing is, 
what are your tastes in poetry? Are you an E.E. E. Cumming person? Are you an Algernon Charles Swinburne person? Are you, you know, I'm a, I'm a Macefield lover myself. Or in, also, for the old folks, I kind of like the John Donne, but uh, yeah. back to Maya Angelou. Holy crap, could that woman write? Oh my God. She, that, she is such a beautiful soul. Yeah. She is such a beautiful soul. The, the way that she can uh, craft things. I'm thinking off the top of my head here, the, um, uh, the, the, I, uh, I rise poem that yeah. touches everybody that hears it. And uh, that is like the epitome of uh, what a poet wants to have happen. A writer, a painter, whoever, an artist, I'll just, you know, put it as, as an artist. That's the epitome. Everyone can relate to that poem. Everyone can feel the emotion in that poem. And it's a different feeling for different individuals. Whereas you'll have a certain um, feeling for it. And I may pick up on a different line yeah. and, and really gravitate towards that. That's what I love about you know, being creative, being an artist and doing that kind of stuff. And it doesn't matter to me if it's art or music or words. I think I have, don't tell anybody because I put this beautiful forward that I'm not at all sentimental, but I found moments that I have cried at each of moments of what I found to be perfection. That maybe it was just the timing or it spoke to me at the right moment. Like I went to hear Rick Todd play at a Midwestern horn conference. So surrounded by college age French horn players. And the man went out and he did a Mozart concerto and it was perfect. And then he did a modern music, which normally I really don't care for, but he did something called whale sound. And oh my God, it was amazing. It was like, there I was in the water surrounded by whales. And then, then he brought out a jazz man and he, he made it, he swung it like it was a trumpet. It sounded like a trumpet. And then on the next song, he sounded like Tommy Dorsey playing you know, trombone. And, and I went outside and I cried because I'm like, well, what a worthless, terrible French horn player I am. I either want to throw my horn off an overpass and never touch it again, or do I go in and throw myself at his feet and beg of him to make something of me? <laughs> 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 and I am in tears because I don't know which. And I think that is what art can do for people. And I think that anybody who's had those moments that has things inside of them Get them out there because maybe you're going to make somebody cry. Mm -hmm. Maybe your book sure. is going to be the, I mean, maybe your book is going to be the one that somebody else is going to say, well, crap, if that gets published, maybe I can publish. <laughs> yeah. And I'll take beautiful example or horrible warning. I'm really open. <laughs> well, that's, that's my second book of poetry. The uh, postcards from somebody you don't know. I always tell people, don't start with that one. That one I was really experimental with. Um, I started with that one, Timothy. You did. Well, of course you did because you're <laughs> awesome like that. But, you know, for, for the regular joke. I liked it because the idea of, of postcards meant, okay, these are going to be short. Start with short, you know, work my way in. And from somebody you don't know, automatically as a title connected me with, okay, I'm going to get to know him the way somebody would fill a little newsy, you know, postcard from somebody. So it's like I the picture is pictures of little postcards and images. And I liked it. I like I don't know how you decide how you title a group of poetry, a collection of poetry before, but... So what a brilliantly well-titled poetry book. Well, it, it, the, I, I title these uh, very simply. I, I know they sound weird and all. So like postcards from somebody you don't know. I was gathering a, a bunch of poems for my second book. And I noticed I was looking at these very postcards a lot. And all four of them really spoke to me. 
And I was like, okay, well, that's got to be the title of, uh, uh, of the book, Postcards from Somebody You Don't Know. And I was just thinking, you know, what would you do if you got a postcard from somebody you don't know? Well, you'd look at the picture and read at the, uh, you know, read uh, the flip side, whatever they wrote there, and, and then wonder, how did they get my address and my name? I liked your, um, on one of the later ones, you're throwing myself at the ground and missing which naturally, of course, everybody knows exactly your, what you're referring to, that here's this podcast, so we don't need to explain exactly. that. But <laughs> I liked your always, you're not a Patsy Klein song. I suppose you have that around, you want to read it to us, because that speaks of a lot of what you've just been talking about here, of saying to always be a poet, to always be creating, to, to find the creators out there and the people who may find laughter and read it or hear your words or look at your beautiful artwork, which we can talk about your beautiful artwork, but read me a poem. Can you read me always? I certainly can. So this is always not a Patsy Klein song. Always the musician playing the music that the dancers move towards emotional unison. Always the director guiding the actors to inspire the audience and themselves into passion. Always the poet, providing the words repeated by lovers at weddings or pre-cordial bliss. Always the friend, awakened by phone calls by those whose lives crash early in the morning, but never in moments of joy. And taking this position of just inside the shadows, I've learned not to expect more than my lot and not to exceed farther than my dreams knowing when to keep silent and to release the silent screams. Do not weep for me, reader. You would never have put me in this place. Do not weep for me, listener. You are safely seated on that side of the microphone and page, knowing not me, only my poet name. Do not weep for me, fellow shadow walkers, for I do not weep or wish to be transported to your dark corner. Do not weep for me, friend because you wouldn't even if you saw me bleed. Listen to other musicians, follow other mentors, read other poets, be a friend to somebody else. Audiences come and go throughout time. As I am replaced, you are as well and will not be welcomed back with open arms. See, I just love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... uh... I was listening to Always by Patsy Cline, um, just, you know, uh, and getting inspiration uh, from that music, but not following the song is just, I had it on in the background and uh, this, you know, bad boy popped out 14 October at uh, 7.45 in the evening. So I love the snapshot of it in that moment in time. And I want to challenge everybody out there listening to go, go write a poem even a short one. Write it about the inevitability of dishes and cleaning your floors. Write it about the adorableness of your your kid or the, the dog in the street running along, <laughs> desperately trying to avoid being put back on the leash. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever moves you, however bad you think you are, write it now and read more poetry and I think you'll get better. Well, and I think the reason why a lot of people don't read poetry, and, and, and you brought up, uh, was it your, your father or your grandfather? He could uh, recite that poem. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to sound like an old guy here, but it, I think in that generation, uh, you know, the generation of the boomers and the greatest generation, they really taught poetry to be recited almost with a club. 
and it, they beat it into people's heads. So that's why they you know remember it years and years and decades later. In my generation, it was kind of relegated to the corner. Um, everybody you know reads a line here and there. And it was very sing-songy. And I just uh, absolutely, uh, when I was growing up and, and being exposed to it through school, I really hated it. I didn't like it at all. And uh, my first poems, my earliest poems were based on uh, a, a certain structure. And that was uh, four line stanzas, four stanzas long, kind of like a church uh, song or church hymnal. And that's what I initially thought poetry, you know, was or should be, or good poetry should be, even though I was influenced by T.S. Eliot, he didn't do that kind of stuff, but that's what I thought it was. And then I eventually learned to just disregard uh, the definition of what I thought poetry was and just expose myself to other people's poetry and to take from it and be inspired by it or be moved by it. And that's kind of what I want to do for, you know, for my audience is that we, we have these definitions in the art world for certain things. And, and that's all well and good to be, you know, for academia and to analyze stuff. But when we get a poem that really speaks to us, you know, and, and I rise, you don't need definitions for that. That's just, that's just going to grab you and, 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 and throw you on the floor and say, hey, you're going to have some emotions for a couple of minutes here. I think there's been more brought in because I, I was thinking of the the evolution of a poet as you were speaking, taking you know from the young age. Mm -hmm. I have seen more rhyming children's books, mm -hmm. which is poetry. And there was a discussion of whether wh which part of rock and roll had more than an emphasis on actual lyrics and how lyrics matter. And somebody's like, "Yeah, the lyrics matter there." I'm like, "Really? There's somewhere it doesn't because that's but strange, but." Mm -hmm. I think even with the kid, you know, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, it's an introduction to poetry in its own way. Mm -hmm. It's my brother and I magically discovered one day in our 20s that we had both memorized the Jabberwocky oh. from Lewis Carroll. <laughs> I don't know why he did it for our own personal reasons, but we both knew it word perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do that with my kids too. I expose them, you know, to uh, the Dr. Seuss they uh, they have been exposed to poetry. Uh, they know Papa every Friday night goes out to a poetry reading. They don't know what he does, and they won't get to read any of the stuff till they hit eighteen. Um, oh, fair. You know, you know when the statute of limitations runs out and all that good stuff. But you know, some of my stuff is not um, is not for everybody. And I, I I learned a long time ago, and it got reinforced. That, uh, to me by um, a uh, marketing guru called, uh, his name is Seth Godin. You know, some of my poems are not for everybody and that's okay. Who it's for, if they grab onto it, fantastic. Not everyone's going to, you know, not everyone's going to like always, you know, a, a Patsy Klein song. Not everyone's going to get dig into that, but there's going to be something in there that they're going to uh, grasp and, and, and hold on to. And, and maybe it's just the funny titles that they like, you know, and they want to have that on their shelf. I mean, who wouldn't want a book titled Shaving Crop Circles on My Chest Hair? Who wouldn't want that? I can't think of a single person. I, I like the point there's Chris Jones chatted with us and he had an interesting point of view of saying, always mm -hmm. keep your audience in mind. And poetry is one of those few places where mm -hmm. your audience kind of is you and the people around you. And 
even if you're writing things, you're you're kind of writing things for your kids because even if they're not old enough to read all the adult terms you may use right now, they're gonna find your poetry one day and say, "This was my dad, <laughs> Brocken." <laughs> I always thought he was kind of a swear. He wouldn't let us use the F word or anything. Dad, what are you doing? Actually, I have video of them saying fuck Trump when they were like three or four years old. So well, I let him swear. I let him swear. Well, you know, kids are just little confrontational spoken Absolutely. word artists. Absolutely. Like, like Lacey Thornfield exactly. from Middleman. Exactly. Or Mark Smith from uh, Green Mill in Chicago. What are you working on now? Well, uh, as at the time of this recording, I am doing uh, what's called National Poetry Writing Month. I know your listeners have heard about this before. Uh, that's 30 poems in 30 days. And then the other thing Ooh. I'm working on is uh, National Novel Writing Month, which is in November. And uh, I got to say that I'm going to fanboy a little bit here. Uh, I, I, I've warned you before. I'm going to fanboy with you guys. I'm writing a, uh, a novel. It's my first like true novel that I'm writing. And I'm already at mm, 95, 97,000 words into it. And I have taken a lot of uh, the interviews, the advice that uh, that you all have given and really incorporated that into uh, the novel uh, I'm writing right now. And, you know, folks can uh, read through it or listen to me uh, recite my novel. If they really like my voice, that's fine. Hey, go for it. But uh, that's that's the two major things I'm working on right now. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to be as cool as you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do believe that anybody can write a novel because there is such a wide variety of what does it mean to write a novel? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's stories, there's, there's the background. Is it a novel? Is it a memoir? Is it a memoir of all the advice that I want never been thrown at me that I want to regurgitate and throw out at somebody else? There's, mm-hmm. there's so many things. I think anybody has a book in them. Oh yeah. I, I agree. Everybody has a book in them. Much in the way I was going to say, I, I like your paintings and some of the stuff that you have out on your uh, Redbubble site as well, because they're a beautiful way of saying, uh, look at something new in a new way. Maybe express yourself. Maybe everybody would be calmer if they tried to write a poem or sat down, try to get out that novel, do a hundred words a day. You don't have to keep up with NaNoWriMo, which is, that is a heck of ambitious 500 words a day is a lot. But oh yeah, to write it down to saying, taking that instead of just scribbling in your corner, draw something you know, sketch something mm-hmm. and see not just the end product, but how it makes you feel to be that creative. And that I think is, mm-hmm. is why do it because of that. Why? Yeah, I, I, I agree. When, when you, when you open yourself up that way and I, and I'm lucky, I have seven year old twins that I get to see them grow and develop. And when they draw something or when they write something down and then they show it to me, and just the joy in their eye and, and the sparkle in their eye, the joy in their voice. It's amazing. And then I immediately feel the need. I need to create something and show it to them and get that joy back. Because, you know, a lot of us have had, you know, kind of crappy childhoods. Um, you can read through my poetry and, and get most <laughs> of it. <laughs> but, and it's, and it's cheaper therapy. You know, I don't have to pay somebody 50 bucks an hour. I can just go ahead and crank out a book and let people pay me. It's just that that joy, that childlike nature that I, I really uh, enjoy about creating in multiple facets. I do music, I do painting, 
I tried sculpture one time. It failed miserably, but that's okay. Um, but at least I tried, you know, I, I've got the scar to prove it. I, I always say anybody can throw a pot. Oh, you mean on a wheel? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. And and just for the record, I was running out there of saying that you have sent even poetry and podcasting and talking and a way of talking to people. I, I enjoy your podcasts very much. And the for those saying, well, crap, you you got you just come on here and blather, Jeannie. What do I do at your KDOI podcasting? How to podcast? Follow Tim. Do what Timothy says, and he will get you on the road to podcasting because maybe you're not great writing things down. Maybe you need to say them out loud. This too is creative and okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, much like everyone has a novel in them, I think everyone has a podcast in them. Probably. (laughs) I've got about 20. So that that goes with all my multiple personalities. So, (laughs) Well, I had appreciated uh, a fellow who did Stories I Told Myself was the book and he did Mm -hmm. a podcast and decided that every single week of the 52 weeks in a year, he was going to tell a story because he was going to make himself right again, darn it. And I love it so deeply because not all the stories are amazing, but some of them are fantastic. Yeah, Telling yourself a story is is half the battle. And then they say that's a first draft anyway. And look, hey, there you are. You've drafted a novel just by podcasting about it. Exactly. And you're going to build up an audience, you're going to build up followers and you're going to you're going to be with your tribe so to speak. Mm. And then once you decide, hey, you know what? I've got a thousand people following it clamoring for me to actually publish it. That's when you go publish it and then boom. One of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. This has been great. And and I will put links to all Timothy's poetry, his podcasts, and the other things we mentioned on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. This has been great. Thank you. I've been waiting for this for a long time. And uh, this is you have knocked off one of the things on my bucket list. So thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineers and backup web spiders are John Schmidt and David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene Coffee Shop, and anything from Arm Street over in Ukraine.